Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with part two on the message, Gifts of the Magi. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope that you are seeing God work amazingly in your life. Well, I want to jump right into the message today, and I want you to know that Christmas time is a wonderful time to invite people to come to church, to invite people to a relationship with Christ. And this year, uh, we did something that we've never done before. We did what we call the Winterfest, and I think eight or 900 people showed up for our Winterfest this year. It was an amazing event, and uh, we had a tent set up, and uh, in that tent, we had several of our leaders that were there, and as people walked by to go to the Candyland or to go to the Hayride, they went right by our tent, and so we had an opportunity to talk to a lot of people and pray with people, and, and one young couple came through. And I had the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And, you know, sharing the gospel should be something that is quite natural for us, right? Because all we're doing is telling other people what Jesus has done for us. And we're not trying to make converts. We're just trying to tell them what the Lord has done for us. We can't make converts, as a matter of fact. It is the Holy Spirit that draws men unto salvation. That is His job. Our job is simply to be the mouthpiece, just to speak on behalf of the Lord. And this couple, when they came, uh, were so receptive. And, and we had just a wonderful opportunity to talk to a bunch of people. And I want you to know that I really think that people are looking for some answers. Uh, when you look at our world, it's upside down. There's no doubt about that. And I think a lot of times we're afraid to speak up for our faith. And so I want to encourage you, use every available means to share the gospel, whether that be through a conversation Uh, whether that be inviting people to come to a worship service or a Christmas play or something that's happening at your church, uh, use every opportunity to share the gospel. Maybe you're involved in uh, leading kids in sports. Uh, You know, that's a great platform to share the gospel. Maybe you're involved in scouts or, or some other outreach ministry where you can have that opportunity to share the gospel with people. Take advantage of these opportunities because you may be the only Jesus that some people are going to see. Well, the Magi made a long journey. It took them several months probably to get to the Savior. Most would say it was between six months and 24 months, or maybe three months and 24 months, but it took them a while to get there. And it was a caravan that probably was traveling, and and we always think of three Magi, but there were three gifts. There was probably a a whole caravan of wise men who were looking for the Savior. So it took a long time for them to travel to get to Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when they finally arrived, we know that Jesus was probably, by the time they arrived, a toddler. Because they said they came to the place where the child lived, right? The house where the child lived. Uh, So he's no longer in the manger. He's no longer a baby. Now he's referred to as a child. So uh, he's probably a toddler, maybe 10 months, maybe 12 months, maybe 24 months. Uh, We don't know his exact age, but we know that he came. They came and found him. And they had these gifts. Each one of these gifts represented one of the offices that Jesus fulfills. He is prophet, priest, and king. So the gold represents the fact that he is king. And the gold is always a gift that is presented to the king. You would never enter into the presence of the king without first giving a gift. And so the Magi knew that. And so they wanted to recognize who he was. And so they brought him the gift of gold. We spent a lot of time talking about that yesterday. The second gift that they brought was the gift of myrrh. Now that symbolized the fact that Jesus was prophet. But there's also a symbol of death found in this 
gift. You know, myrrh was used as a spice, and it was used as an anointing oil. And myrrh is actually mixed into an oil that was used to anoint prophets. And so there's two primary roles biblically that we see that myrrh has. One is that it would be involved in in anointing people, people who are set apart for a specific task, right? You would set aside a king, and a king would be anointed, or a prophet or a priest would be anointed, okay? Uh, So that's quite significant when you think about it. But there's something else that is also found in myrrh. Not only was it used to anoint those who were prophets, priests, and kings, but it was also used as an embalming fluid. Now, this might appear odd, but the ancient church understood the symbolism of myrrh as pointing toward the day that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Now, myrrh is an amazing substance. It's an essential oil extracted from myrrh itself and is mentioned as a very rare perfume in several places in the Bible. So uh, the Sunday I preached this to my congregation, I had a vial that had a mixture of frankincense and myrrh. And we take the cap off that, it gives off a, a beautiful aroma. So myrrh was often used as a perfume, but several times in the Bible we see that it had a lot of value, right? For example, in Genesis chapter 37, as Jacob's sons are going to their brother Joseph, you remember there's a famine in the land, and Jacob and his family are about to starve to death. And so Jacob sends his sons to go to Egypt to purchase some food. And so Joseph had camels that were loaded down. And so how did they pay for this? They paid for it in part with myrrh. Now, as we look at Exodus chapter 30, verses 20 to 23, we also see that Moses used liquid myrrh as a core ingredient for the sacrificing that would take place. It says in in Exodus chapter 30 that he had 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. So whenever a sacrifice would take place, they would involve myrrh in that sacrifice. Amazing when you think about it. And so whenever the temple was dedicated, for example, or whenever the tabernacle was dedicated, it would be dedicated with liquid myrrh. So the tabernacle, as you know, was a temporary structure that Moses had built in the wilderness, and it would move with the people. They would set up camp, stay for a little while, and then they move on to the next area. And every time they reestablished the tabernacle, Moses would use these 500 shekels of liquid myrrh and dedicate the tabernacle once again. The same was true with the temple. The temple was dedicated at Jerusalem with myrrh. So when we think about it, myrrh is an amazing ingredient It's used as a holy anointing oil used to anoint tabernacles and temples and priests and king. But it's also used as a purification substance. In the book of Esther, fascinating book, right? The oil of myrrh is used in Exodus chapter 2. And remember the queen. Queen Esther was the new queen to King Ahasuerus. And she was going to be purified through a ritual ceremony when she became queen. And so she was going to be anointed with the oil of myrrh. So here we see an amazing gift given by the Magi. 
They give gold to represent the fact that Jesus was going to be the king, king of kings and lord of lords, although his kingdom was not here on this earth at that time. It was a heavenly kingdom. They gave myrrh as the fact that he is anointed as prophet and also to recognize not only is he going to be prophet, but he's going to be one that is going to atone for the sins of mankind. So we see a picture of his death even at his birth. So when we look at this, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, it's unbelievable when you think about the frankincense. The frankincense was a picture of the Godhead and represented the priestly role of Jesus. You know, after I gave this message not too long ago at my church, at the end of the services, one of my guys came up to me and gave me a plastic bag filled with frankincense, because frankincense is actually a resin that is left over when they burn a part of a tree. It's a resin that's left over, and you can actually melt down. It's kind of a hard resin, but you can melt it down to a liquid form, and it gives off that sweet scent. And so it would take this frankincense and, and then burn it, and, uh, and it would fill up the house with uh, a lot of that sweet aroma. So when I think about what Christ has done for us, Paul says that we are to be a sweet aroma. We reflect the aroma of Christ when we are born again, when they burn us, right? When they put the pressure on us, uh, we should give off that sweet smell, that fragrance of frankincense. So here we have these three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, We talked about what these gifts mean. Uh, We talked about their significance. But maybe the question is, well, why does this even matter? And as I was putting this message together, I found an interesting verse that talks about why this is so important. It's an Old Testament verse in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verse number five. Isaiah says, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Now, this is a prophetic passage about the coming of Christ. At the coming of the Christ, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. These magi were bringing the wealth of the Gentiles to Christ himself. Now, this is so important because this is prophesied. The role of Jesus being prophet was prophesied. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise you up a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. So here in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18, we discover Moses talking about this prophet that God was going to raise up, and that prophet was going to come from the Hebrew people. He says, from among your countrymen. And Moses is giving the strong exhortation, when he comes, you shall listen to him. And then Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts. Now, it's amazing when you think about Luke, right? Luke is probably the only writer of Scripture who is not Jewish. And as we look at the remarks that Luke makes, he actually quotes what Moses said in Acts chapter 3. He says, Moses said, the Lord will rise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. Now, as Luke is giving this, he's recording the fact that this prophecy has been fulfilled in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 specifically. On the day of Pentecost, when Jesus ascends up into heaven, right? After he has 
been crucified. After he is raised again from the dead, he spent the days here on the earth, 40 days on the earth, and then he was ascended up on high. Then we discover this prophecy is being recognized as being fulfilled. And so Luke records the sermon that is given in Acts chapter 3, and he says, now listen, we should listen to what Jesus said. He is one of us, not referring to himself, but one of the Jews that he was addressing. He said, you should listen to him and whatever he tells you. And the crowds did recognize Jesus as prophet. In Matthew 21, 11, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Uh, So we learn this matters, this gift matters, because the prophecy ministry of Jesus, Jesus being prophet, was actually prophesied. Let's look at the gift that represented the fact that he was our priest. He is priest. He is the greatest high priest who is now in heaven. Now, I've got some really interesting verses here in the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew believers. And so the author of the book of Hebrews, who I think it was Paul, but uh, you can disagree with me if you choose to, that's your prerogative. But when Paul is writing, he says, Jesus is a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 5. We get even more information about this role of the priest that Jesus was fulfilling. In the same way, Hebrews 5, 5 to 10, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. He didn't become high priest. He always was high priest. But God said, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a high priest forever. Some translations saying you are an everlasting high priest. In other words, Jesus has always been high priest. He didn't become our high priest. He's always been the high priest. And Paul says he was after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is so important, right? The reason this is so important is because so many people look at Jesus and they only recognize him as prophet or they only recognize him as king but they don't want to recognize him as priest forever. There are so many false religions out there that will teach you that you can become God. This is a cardinal doctrine of the Mormon church, for example. And you don't get this the first time that you attend a Mormon church service. You're going to think, wow, they're just like us. They have good values, good family values. But when you dig deeper into their faith, they believe that Jesus was not God but Jesus became God. And just as Jesus became God, you and I can also become God. And this is creeping into so many faiths today that we must be careful. You will never become God. You are not going to become the great I am, right? I even heard one pastor falsely say, just as Moses, remember when Moses had that burning bush experience? And he says, who am I going to say has sent me? Moses is concerned that if he marches into Pharaoh's palace, that he's going to be rejected. And Pharaoh's going to say, who do you think you are, Moses? Whose authority are you coming in? And remember what God said through that burning bush? Tell him that I am, that I am, has sent you. This pastor I was listening to says, just as Moses went, and he knew that he was the I am, so we, you and I can become the I am. That is heresy. Moses was not going in his own authority. Moses didn't become God as he's entering into the palace of Pharaoh. He never was God and never could become God. He says, I'm coming in the authority of God. Although I'm not him, I'm coming in his authority. And I think about John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist was a forerunner of Christ. He says, I am not the Christ, but I'm coming speaking on behalf of the Christ. Prepare ye your way. Repent, because he's coming. You see, that's what we're supposed to do today. We're to explain to people that we're not God. We are highly flawed individuals. Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. We're not little gods. We are highly flawed individuals that have been born again, that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And our job now is to share the good news of this high priest in heaven. As we look at Hebrews chapter 5, we see that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and with tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. It was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is a mouthful that we're learning here in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 10, but here the writer is clearly indicating that Jesus learned obedience. You say, wait a minute, how does God, if Jesus is God, need to learn obedience? Well, the author is not talking about the divinity of God himself, Jesus. He's talking about the human aspect of Jesus. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't start becoming God. He was always God. He started becoming human. He took on the form of a human. He lowered himself. He came as a baby so that we wouldn't be afraid that when he came, so he lowered himself. And during this time, he grew. And he went through what we go through as humans, growing and going through times of suffering. And so his human side went through times of suffering so that he would be obedient to Christ. He became the source of our eternal salvation. Amazing when you think about it. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 and 18 talks about the fact that Jesus is a merciful and a high priest. Peter himself says that Jesus is a living stone and a holy high priest. You see, this matters to us because if we're going to go to heaven, we're not going to get there on our own good works. The couple who prayed to receive Christ Saturday night, I asked them a very simple question. I said, now, if you were to pass away right now and you were to go up to the gates of heaven and St. Peter was there and he were to say to you, why should I let you into God's heaven? what would you say? Uh, Well, they were both a little bit set back by that question because I could tell they had never thought about that. The husband says, well, uh, I would say that uh, I've been a pretty good person most of my life. I've made a whole lot of mistakes, but I've been a pretty good person. He serves in the United States Navy, and I I said, thank you for your service to our nation. I said, but um, if I could show you a little answer that's different than one you just gave me from God's Word, would you be interested? And then his wife says, well, uh, if I were to respond to that question, uh, I would say, well, you know, I used to go to church, and in church I learned a lot about Jesus, right? And, uh, and I think that's why I should go to heaven, because I know a lot about Jesus. And I says, if I could show you from God's Word an answer that's a little bit different than the one you gave me, would you be interested? Well, they both said yes. And I says, I'm so glad that you said yes. I said, let me take you to God's Word. And I took him to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I said, the answers that both of you gave 
are answers about knowing Jesus and an answer about what you've done. Good works and knowledge. You know, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. You know, it's one thing to know a lot of stuff, but it's much more important to apply what you know. It's great to know about Jesus, but you're only going to go to heaven not by knowing Jesus, but by Jesus knowing you. Do you remember when we looked at the book of James uh, in our study over a year ago? And in that study, we learned that James talks about those who have demon faith, right? He says, even the demons know about Jesus, and they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe on Jesus, right? I guess it's kind of like me saying, well, I believe that uh, President Biden is the president right now of the United States, and I know him, uh, I know of him, but you know, if he walked into this room where I am, he wouldn't say, hey, Calvin, how are you? Uh, He would say, hey, who are you, right? Because he's never met me. I've never met him in person. I know of him, but he doesn't know me. We don't know each other. There's a lot of people in that same situation in their relationship with Christ. Oh, they've read a few facts about Christ. Maybe they've even read the Sermon on the Mount. They know about Jesus, but Jesus doesn't know them because Jesus is not their Lord and Savior. And so Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that by grace are we saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Can you imagine how terrible heaven would be if we got to heaven by boasting? I mean, you'd be bragging about what you did to get to heaven. I'd be bragging about what I did to get to heaven. I would be doing this comparison thing, and we'd be saying, wait, wait a minute. I did more than you. How'd you get up here? You don't deserve to be here. And we'd get into this whole mess about uh, conflict with each other. We'd become jealous of one another. Well, you know, heaven is a perfect place, only for a perfect people. There's only perfect people in heaven. It doesn't matter how much good you do. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, uh, says the book of Isaiah. What a, a sad commentary on the plight of humanity. I want you to know our goodness is not nearly as good as we think it is. Our goodness is falling short of God's glory. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's one final point we've got to look at in the broadcast today, is that Jesus is King above all other kings, and Lord of Lord. Now, I want to emphasize that when Jesus was here on this earth, he said, John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. But Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. In Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah says this prophecy, gives this prophecy, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What does that mean? That Jesus is king above all governments, all human governments, right? And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, Herod loved titles. He loved that title that he was king of the Jews. As a matter of fact, he killed one of his wives. He killed two of his sons so they would overthrow his kingdom. He would kill anybody that got in his way. Somebody says it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Herod on his deathbed commanded that all of the chief people in Israel to be put in prison. And then when he died, they were to be killed. 
Everybody hated Herod. But he says, I'm going to have people mourning at my death. Even if they're not mourning my death, the moment that I die, these people are going to be killed, and there's going to be mourning at my death. I want you to know that Jesus is the king above all other kings. In Revelation 19, it says that he is clothed in a robe dipped in the blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And on that robe and on this thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John gives us a glimpse of heaven. One day we're going to get to heaven, those who know Christ. And we're going to see Jesus himself. And we're going to notice that on his thigh, on the side of his robe, is the word, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, Christmas can change us. We become a new creation when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are joined to the body of Christ when we join the family of God and we receive an inheritance in heaven that endures forever, that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Would you put your faith and trust in Christ today? Call upon his name and you will be saved. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. If you have any questions about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.